Good evening. We're going to get started. Glad y'all are here. Seems a little bit quiet in here tonight. Y'all must have had, had too many tacos over there. <laughs> We're going to start off with a test again like we did last week. I'm going to ask if everybody will stand, please. I'm going to ask you very easy trivia questions. If you miss it, you sit down. If you get it right, you stay standing. It's on the honor system, and so we'll work off that. All right, here we go. First question tonight is this. The most popular food at Christmas is turkey. If you got that right, stay standing. Anybody miss that? What did you think it was? Tamales. All right. <laughs> Second question is this. The most popular singer of all time, they're going on record sales, for a male. The most popular singer of all time for a male is... Michael Jackson, if you missed that, sit down. A whole bunch of folks thought Elvis, didn't they? I guess Elvis before they bought a lot of records. All right, most popular singer of all time, female, going on record sales again, is, it is Madonna. <laughs> well, this is supposed to be easy trivia. All right, stand back up. We got more questions. We're going to keep going until we get a winner. All right, the most popular side to serve with fish, the most popular side to serve with fish. All right, I'm going to give you two answers, and if you have either one of these, you can stay standing. Worldwide, it is chips, fried potatoes, or french fries. That's worldwide, and if you're in the South, it's hush puppies. So if you've got hush puppies, you can stay standing. Either one of those, you can stay standing. All right, we've still got a crew now. All right, next question is this. The capital of Florida is Tallahassee. If you've got Tallahassee, you can stay standing. All right, next question is true or false? True or false, the heaviest human of all time Weighed 1,400 pounds, true or false? That is true. That is true. That was a guy, he said, it said he spent most of his life at eight to 900 pounds before he bloomed up, is what it said. He was actually a taxi cab driver. So uh, that is a true story. All right, how many we got? We got a few. All right, the last question is this. The winningest Major League Baseball team of all time is the San Francisco Giants. All right, you got it. You get a coffee cup and some Tootsie, tootsie Rolls. <laughs> good job, good job. We were ready for sudden death. We didn't have to do it. All right, let's start off with the, and go to the Lord in prayer. And Father, we come, we're thankful for tonight, we're thankful for the rain that you've sent us, we praise you for that, every drop of it, we're thankful for our church, uh, that you bless us through it, we're thankful for the time we can come together tonight in the middle of the week, and uh, to laugh with each other, to fellowship with each other, to eat together, and then to, to study your word, and so we praise you for that privilege, we praise you for that opportunity, I pray tonight is an important night, I pray for the uh, the word of God that will be taught, I pray for the, for the youngest classes, for the little kid classes, I pray 
that you would grow them tonight, that there would be a foundation laid there uh, that, that will hold a foundation of truth. And so we hold them up to you. I pray for our youth meeting tonight. So many things in our world uh, that would pull them away from the truth. I pray that tonight, again, that the truth goes in and that, it, that it's understandable, uh, that they take it into their minds, that they take it into their hearts, and that, and that an anchor is, is set in that. I pray for uh, our other adult classes meeting tonight. I pray that you uh, bless them, use them, or known through them. I pray that as a church, we grow in the study of your word. I pray for these in this, uh, this class, these that are here in person, those that are listening in, in another way tonight. I pray, Lord, that we would, uh, same thing, we would hear your truth, we would grow in your truth, that we would be better uh, equipped, prepared after hearing your truth, and I pray that you're pleased in, in every step of it. So we trust it to you. I pray uh, for, for needs tonight, uh, folks going through certain things, uh, some that are facing illness, some that are uh, having tough prognosis. I pray that you would bless them, be their peace tonight as well. We hold all this up to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we are in our 67th lesson. Uh, we, we are moving along through the gospel accounts. Uh, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we went through the account of the baptism of Jesus. Then last week, we went through the account of the temptation of Jesus. And tonight, we're really moving into now his ministry as it takes off, his ministry as it moves forward uh, from there. Tonight, our lesson is entitled, Just So We're Clear, Just So We're Clear. Our key verses tonight are found in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 22. Uh, the account is found in the other Gospels as well. I, I chose this account I think there's a little more detail in it. So our key verses tonight are found in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 22. Uh, I'm just going to start off and read that tonight, and then we'll have that set up, and then we'll go through it verse by verse. All right, the, the first part, uh, Luke 4, verse 14, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues, and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 22, And all were speaking well of him, and wondering at the gracious words, which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? So that's our, our block of verses tonight. Those are the verses we're going to focus on tonight. Uh, our key point, if you have your worksheet tonight, our key point is where John the Baptist had prepared the people for the Messiah. That was his mission. That's what he did. That starts the whole thing off. And then where Jesus' baptism announced and confirmed his identity as the Messiah uh, that whole event from, from John's declaration, Behold the Lamb of God, 
who takes away the sins of the world uh, to the coming of the Holy Spirit as a dove to the voice of God. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. All of those things are confirming the identity of Jesus as the Messiah. And so those things have taken place. John the Baptist has prepared the way. Uh, the baptism has confirmed and clearly demonstrated Jesus is the Messiah. Well, from there, Jesus himself now clearly claims that he is the Messiah. Now, we're going to see in our section tonight, it is plain when he does it. It's not ambiguous. Sometimes we think, well, it wasn't that clear. We're going to see it was very clear. It was plain. And now he uh, himself clearly proclaims that he is the Messiah. Now, you may have run into this. I've run into it several times. Uh, but there are people that when they're debating the identity of Jesus, uh, they'll say, and, and you hear it quite a bit these days, well, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Well, he never claimed to be the Messiah. Or they'll say, well, Jesus never claimed uh, to be God. Jehovah's Witnesses, if you talk to them, they'll say, well, he never claims to be God. That's not in the New Testament. And, and so they'll make these uh, big, bold statements. He never claimed to be the Messiah. He never claimed to be God. Uh, the truth is, and we're going to see it tonight, Jesus very clearly and publicly made known his claim to be the Messiah of God. Now, I want us to see as we go through this, it is very clear. It's not ambiguous. Uh, in fact, if you think about this, uh, over and over and over as we study the New Testament, this is why they want to kill him. Uh, it, it's not for some other claim. They're, they're fine with great teachers. We see that tonight in our study, but it's the claim that he is uh, the Son of God, that He is the Messiah uh, that starts the, the hatred growing for Him uh, that will ultimately end in His death on the cross of Calvary. All right, let's go to our verses. We'll start and we'll go piece by piece. Start in verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread through all the surrounding District. So after the events of Jesus' baptism, after the events of his testing, uh, of his temptation, he returns to Galilee, and it's out of Galilee that his public ministry is going to move forward. It's out of Galilee that his public ministry is going to advance from. Notice he is empowered, uh, moved by the Holy Spirit of God. We saw that last week. We see that again this week. He's led, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And then we see something start to happen, and it's kind of going to be a, a, a growing thing, and that is his fame begins to spread. The word about Jesus uh, begins to quickly spread. Um, I, wanna, I want you to think about this, and it's kind of an interesting thing. This early on, it says already in verse 14 that, that his fame was spreading, that the word about him was spreading, and so the question is, what do you think is spreading about Jesus? What, what word about Jesus uh, is spreading? Uh, I, I'm imagining as he is moving around that he is teaching that he's the Messiah. It doesn't say that yet. We're going to see his first recorded sermon tonight. Uh, but for sure the events of his baptism, uh, at his baptism, it is again demonstrated uh, and made known that he is the Messiah. God confirms that. Holy, the Father confirms that. Holy Spirit confirms that. Well, understand, there was a large crowd at his baptism. And so he goes there. It was a public demonstration. There's a large crowd. Well, these 
Now, where he's at now is probably about 45, 50 miles away. And so it's not a great distance. And so here's this large crowd. They see the testimony of God as to who Jesus is. And so in my mind, the word of that is spreading. Well, uh, you should have been at his baptism. Well, did you hear what happened uh, when John baptized him? Did you hear what we heard? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And I, and I imagine that is the word that is spreading. All right, so he goes back to Galilee. That's where he came down from. That's where he goes back to. And it's here that his ministry is going to kick off. Uh, his fame, uh, his notoriety is already starting to quickly spread. Verse 15. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Now, the synagogues of Galilee uh, were going to be, and they were, we see here, the starting places of Jesus' ministry. Now, a Jewish synagogue, uh, these were the, were, were the local Jewish people where they would gather to study God's word, where they would gather to worship God. Uh, the temple is in Jerusalem. Uh, most of these folks are too far away to get to the temple very frequently, and so they have a local synagogue, actually very common in all these little towns and little cities. Uh, so they would meet in these places, they would study the word of God, they would read the word of God, they would worship there together as Jews uh, because they weren't able to get to the temple. Uh, these places would serve as a place of uh, discussion and dialogue about matters concerning their faith. And so not only would they um, study the word of God, not only would they read the word of God, but somebody might say, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? How do we apply that? And maybe somebody would come along and they might disagree with that. And so it's really a place where their faith uh, is discussed and, and compared uh, to Scripture. So this was the Jewish thing to do. Um, it starts in the synagogue. Um, as Jesus' ministry began, um, notice here that uh, he is met right from the start as he goes out with support and acceptance. And I was thinking about that. Um, it doesn't take very long in Jerusalem, right from his birth, that they are against him. But out in the country, uh, out in these cities, out in these other towns, uh, not at the temple, not in Jerusalem, um, there are people that are excited to hear what he has to say. There are people that are believing what it is he has to say. There's a whole lot of folks, I imagine, that are curious about what it is that he has to say. And so somebody says, well, did you hear what he's saying about himself? Somebody says, did you hear about his baptism? My friend was down there and they witnessed that. And so uh, out away from Jerusalem, people are excited. People are curious. People are coming together to, to uh, see Jesus who begins again to be all of the rage. Uh, so closer to Jerusalem, they're, they're, they're very quickly turned against him, but out here, uh, he, he finds support and acceptance. Let me read verse 15 again. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. All right, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read, all right? So now he's gone to the region that he came from. Now he goes back to his hometown. He actually goes to Nazareth. He goes to his hometown, 
And I think it's a pretty interesting thing to imagine. Where he grew up is actually where he's going to preach his first recorded sermon in, our, in, our, in Scripture. And so he's going to start where he started. And I think sometimes we don't see that, but he goes back to where he started, back to where people knew him, back to where he grew up, back to where his family had roots, and that's where he's going to start at. So these folks are going to be the first to hear his radical claims. Again, you got to kind of picture that. Now, these are people that are going to know him, uh, that, that either knew him or maybe knew of him, and so they're going to be uh, familiar with him. It's assumed that when he gets back to Nazareth, because of what folks are saying, that the leader of this local synagogue uh, asked Jesus to read the scripture and then to give his commentary on it. So he goes back. Uh, people are talking about him. There's a buzz about him. And so the leader of the local synagogue evidently asks him, would you read the scripture today? And then would you give uh, commentary on it? To me, that seems a lot like a guest speaker that we would have in our churches today. Somebody comes uh, that's going to fill in or is going to be a guest speaker uh, at that time. And so I believe that's what happens here. Uh, verse 17. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Let me read 16 again. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Scripture reading was central to uh, Jewish worship. Uh, it was central to the Sabbath gathering at the synagogue. And I think it's pretty, pretty amazing to think about this. Uh, Jesus is going to read the scripture. And these folks have no idea uh, that the author of scripture is about to read the scripture to them. But not only that, the subject of scripture is about to read the scripture to them. Now that's mind-boggling. They say, well, hey, this guy, we know him. He's up here, and he's going to read the Scripture. But uh, he's about to read uh, the Scripture that he, that he inspired. He's about to read the Scripture that's about him. Uh, that's, a, that's a crazy thing. That's an awesome thing. Um, understand this. The book that he was reading, we call it a book. Most likely at this time was a scroll. It's not a book like we would have, but most likely is a scroll uh, that is rolled up. Verses 18 and 19. Let me read 17 again. The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Verse 19, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. All right, so he opens a scroll. Be sure and notice this. He decided what he would read. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah, but he picked where he would read. And so this is intentional. This is deliberate. He has a message. He knows what he's about to do. He knows what he's about to say. And so he selects the verses that he would read. Uh, this is a quotation from Isaiah 61. Um, Isaiah 61 
this is a prophecy that tells what the Messiah is going to do. Uh, 700 years before Jesus is born, this is what it says the Messiah is going to do. You want to know what he's going to do? This is what he's going to do. And so it's detailing the work of the Messiah. Um, I, I, I like to say this. Today you'll hear folks talk about um, Isaiah 61, uh, maybe in a different manner. Sometimes you hear about churches having in Isaiah chapter 61 ministry. Sometimes you hear about ministries outside of the church being Isaiah 61 ministries. And they, they seem to maybe want to try to do the things that are listed in Isaiah 61. Now, Christ is our model, but understand Isaiah 61, it is saying this is what the Messiah will do. And you'll know you have the Messiah when he's doing these things. And so these are the things that are going to identify who the Christ is and, and what he's doing. And so uh, sometimes folks think, well, that's what we're to do, or we're, we're commissioned to do those things. Well, you could say maybe as an example but Isaiah 61, it's saying this is what the Christ is going to do. This is how we're going to identify him. All right, verse 20. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. All right, so he reads the scripture. He's standing up. He gets finished. He gives it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. All right? The tradition was uh, to stand when reading the scripture. This goes all the way back to, to Ezra. When he would uh, read the scripture, they all stood in the, in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. That's where we get that on Sunday morning. We stand in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. So that was the tradition. When God's word was read, when they opened the scrolls, they stood for it's reading. But the tradition was also, after it was read, they would sit down to discuss it. And so it would be kind of like our Bible study tonight. They would stand and have the reading of the scripture. Then they would sit down and discuss the scripture. So understand that kind of makes a little more sense here. Jesus hands the scroll back, uh, most likely to an attendant who's going to roll it up and put it away for storage. So he finishes reading, he hands it to the attendant, the attendant rolls it up and puts it away, he sits down, and so when he sits down, everybody's now waiting to see what he's going to say. He's sitting down, what's he going to say about these verses? What's he going to teach us? What's his commentary going to be? And so imagine everybody's probably leaning in to hear what he says. They can't imagine what he's about to say, I can promise you that. But they are leaning in, okay, what's he going to say? What's this great teacher uh, going to teach us right here? All right, verse 21. Verse 21 is a big deal. Verse 21 is really the point to what happens in our verses tonight. It's the key uh, to the whole thing. Verse 21, and he began to say to them. Uh, the verb tense there is he begins. This is the beginning of him saying it. So he has started saying this. He's going to continue saying this. In fact, his ministry is going to be the ministry of saying this. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
this declaration, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your, in your hearing, uh, what he is saying is the prophecies that Isaiah was talking about, uh, the things that he said the Messiah was going to do, the things that would identify the Messiah, he says this, they're answered today. They're fulfilled today. Very clearly it was understood. He just said, I'm the Messiah. So here's a description of the Messiah, and he says, today you have found this description. You've heard this description in your hearing today. Um, they would have understood that. Um, the word today shows that it's not a future event. He doesn't say Soon coming is the one that's going to fulfill these things. He says, today, this has been fulfilled in your midst. Now, I want you to think about this. These are Jewish folks. Now, they've been taught that God's going to provide a Savior. Their hope was that God would provide the Christ, the Savior. Uh, they should have been looking for uh, the Christ, the Savior. I think sometimes maybe they fell into the same thing that we do today, looking for the second coming. We think it is, it is coming but maybe not today or maybe not this year. I think they were probably the same way. He is coming, uh, but maybe not today, maybe not this year. And so when he says this, uh, the magnitude of what he says is really not calculable. Uh, the fact that he says, here's the description of the Messiah, and he sits down and says, now that's been fulfilled today in your hearing, uh, that, that is really immeasurable, the impact of that. They know what he's saying. Um, it's clear what he's saying. He is saying their Savior has come. More than that, he is saying, I am the Savior. Think about the hugeness of this. Um, hundreds of years, all these generations, and he says, I am that Savior. I am that Savior. Now, it's interesting from our vantage point, I wonder when they're sitting there, what they're, what they're thinking is it's piecing together. Uh, it's always interesting how you see things start to fit. And we, we, we can look back and have all these verses and we go, we'll see there, we'll see there. I wonder when it starts to fit for them that they're going, oh, that makes sense. Oh, that adds up. Oh, that's starting to, to come together. Um, as we read, we see these things. Here's a couple of them. Um, these are a couple that are easy for us to see. It starts off and it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember from Luke 3.22, it is baptism. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him. So Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's upon me. Well, guess what? Anybody that was at the baptism or heard about it knew uh, that that's what happened there. The Holy Spirit descended upon him. He says, because he anointed me. Now, the baptism of Jesus, we talked about it. It was a public marking of Jesus. And so his anointing is on me. He's anointed me. Well, that goes back again to the baptism. He says to preach good news. Uh, the gospel is what it says. Well, it's funny. The gospel, uh, God has chosen that word. It is, it is recorded for us. It says it here, and it literally translates good news. And so he, he, I imagine if they're thinking about the Savior, the Messiah, they're thinking, he is coming to defeat Rome. He's coming to get a big army together. He's coming to rebuild the kingdom and make us great the way it was in the days of King David. And he says, I'm coming to preach good news. And that's, that's exactly what happens, the preaching of good news, literally good news. That is, that is the story of Jesus. He comes to tell us uh, good news. 
The rest of the verses, if you go through them, they describe the result of one that would receive the good news. Listen to verse 18 and 19 again. This is what happens when you receive the good news. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. There's a whole bunch of parallels taking place. Um, it's starting to add up. This is what he's doing. This is what he's here for. And this is what Isaiah said uh, would happen when he came. And so it's starting to add up. All right, verse 22. And all were speaking well of him, of Jesus, and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. That's one thing. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Uh, verse, let me read that again. And all of them, they're hearing it, they see it. And all of them were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And the second thing they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Uh, the response here of the people is very telling. Um, they were, it says they were talking well of Jesus, which means this, the, the description here that the words are graciously falling away from him, he's an awesome teacher. He is, a, is, is, is the author of Scripture, and so who better to explain Scripture? So they're marveling. He's not stuttering around. He's not bumbling around. It's not like a preacher they've ever heard. And so they're, they're going, look, look at the words that he's saying. And they're impressed by that. They're speaking well of it. We've never heard a teacher like this, but at the exact same time, some of them are saying, don't we know his dad? Doesn't he live down at Rovermere? Isn't he a carpenter? What's he saying? How does he know what he's saying? And so at the exact same time, uh, they're saying that. And I think that's a pretty good picture of the confusion that must fill the synagogue that day. Some of them are saying, wow, that does add up. Some of them are saying, wow, he is a good speaker. Some are saying, this guy's nuts. We know who he is. We know who his dad is. And so I think this shows a picture of um, the confusion that must be taking place. Imagine the hugeness. He is the fulfillment of Scripture. He is the Savior promised all the way from Genesis on down. Uh, he is the plan of God. He is the perfect Lamb of God. He is all those things. He is divine. And at the same time, he is a person. And we saw him playing. We know his brothers. And at the same time, those things are true as well. And so their minds have to be blown at that point. I thought about this. It says he's not received in his hometown uh, later, it's going to say he couldn't do any miracles there because they, they had no faith in his hometown. Um, I, I, I think I can say this. Maybe it was harder for them to believe than anybody. Maybe you get to the next town and they don't know his past. They don't know his dad. Maybe you get further down south, headed back to Jerusalem, and they don't, they don't know all that stuff. Maybe it was harder for them to believe because they say, we did know him and we do know his family. Uh, we do know his dad. We do know what he, what he did before this. And so maybe it was stranger for them to believe uh, than anybody else to believe. All right, let me ask you this, and, and, and I think 
we need to just be clear and quick to answer this. So, what would you say if someone said Jesus never claims to be God or the Christ or the Messiah or the Savior? Um, you, you could go to John 14. You could go to a lot of places, but go ahead and just mark this down as a place. When you run into a Jehovah's Witness and they say, he never claimed to be God. Now, we could point out about 20 places, but this is one of them. We ought to say, actually, he takes the scroll that says, this is what the Messiah is going to do, and he says, this is who I am. And so he very clearly claims to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, to be the Son of God. This is one place we could go back to very easily. Hey, let's go to Luke chapter 4, and we'll see what Jesus clearly says about his identity. I want to do one last thing uh, tonight. That's, that's the, the, really the, the, the movement across the lesson. Um, but I, I want to go back, and I think we miss a lot of things sometimes because we just grab pieces of it. But I, I want to think tonight about, I think for sure today we are guilty of missing how great of news we have in the good news of Jesus Christ. I think we've heard that. We're used to that. You know, some of us have heard it for a long time. And it is good news. But you know what? Uh, the Cowboys are playing on this day. and The Vernon Lions just won again and this and that. And that's good news. And we get kind of numb to how marvelous this good news is. Um, I'm going to read Isaiah 61 in its entirety. Um, remember as I read it, this is a description of the Messiah. This is what he's going to do. And this is the provision of his coming. This is what's going to happen when he comes. And then as I read it, I want you to remember this. This was written 700 years, not before this date, 700 years before Jesus was even born. So as I read this, here's who our Messiah is, written 700 years before he was born. All right, here we go. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Listen to that word. To, to help, to comfort the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins and they will raise up the, the former devastations they will repair the ruined cities, the desolation of the many generations. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks, and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. But you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy out of their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery in the burnt offering. And I will faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations. 
and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. For he is, listen to these words, clothed me with garments of salvation. Listen to this. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. What is Jesus going to do? He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As his bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes things sown to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Think about that list for just a second. Think about all the things that it says we will have in the Messiah and that we do have in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I just wrote a couple of these things down. In Christ, the healing of broken hearts. Sometimes we think forgiveness of sin, restoration with God, eternal life. Awesome, 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 can't earn it. Uh, tremendous given to us in the grace of God. But you know what else? The healing of broken hearts. Joy replacing mourning. Awesome. Fellowship with God. It says in two places, everlasting joy. Joy that doesn't taper off, that doesn't run out with the situation of the world. The removal of shame. What is that worth? The guilt of sin, the shame, the disgustingness of sin. It's gone. It's, it's removed the removal of shame. Righteousness. We're going to put on the righteousness of Christ. Freedom to those who are enslaved. Renewal. What was messed up is built back. Renewal. Great blessing. The removal of injustice. No more injustice, no more wrong, no more sin. It's going to be removed. Salvation. And all of that goes back to praise. All the way through. And praise. The ends, there's going to be praise as people see that. Here's the question. We're about to end tonight. Here's the question. So why aren't we more joyful as God's people? So why aren't we more joyful? And I, I've been thinking about that for a couple of days working through this lesson. Why aren't we more joyful? And, I, and I, I don't know, we live in a day where we, we get our heads down and we get discouraged and it's tough. Why aren't we more joyful? The only thing I can come up with is we're looking more at the problems and the issues and the worldly things than we are the truth of what we have in our Savior Christ. And, and I think as Christians, as the church, uh, as people that come together on Wednesday night and eat a bunch of tacos, uh, we ought to say, no, we have a risen Savior. We're forgiven of our sin. My shame has been carried far away. I have everlasting joy and remind ourselves of those things that we have in Christ, that we would be more joyful. It's a matter of where we fix our eyes. I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, we come down and as we stand here um, studying your word, as we stand here blessed for the privilege, uh, on, this, on this specific night we stand here as it rains on our rooftop. And, and the thing about rain is we couldn't produce it. We couldn't. We didn't earn it. Um, <laughs> you and your grace poured out on us. 
And so I pray as we, as, we, as we walk out and our roads are wet and our cars are wet, I pray that we're mindful of a God who is gracious to us as sinners, that is kind to us as sinners and gives us what we couldn't produce, what we couldn't earn, the forgiveness of sin, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that this lesson is taking root in many forms and fashions across our church tonight. I pray for some that are listening tonight at home or other places. I pray, Lord, that we rejoice in the coming of Christ, the truth of our Savior, our, our Messiah. And I pray that we have joy uh, as we consider that. And then I pray for somebody that might not know you, and I don't, I don't know what shape that'll be tonight. Maybe it's in a different class. I pray that in the hearing of the Messiah, that somebody might trust you tonight. We, we come and I pray again for our church. Pray that you bless it. Pray that you use it. Pray that you stand at the center of it. We tell you we love you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here tonight.